Uh, today we're going to look at what I think is really the capstone passage on bearing fruit. We've been talking about the fruit that you bear for the last month or so, and this really is the capstone. It's, it's, it's the piece that kind of, I think, ties it all together for us in a really good and powerful way for us. Uh, when we read John 15, we have to understand the context of this a little bit. More than half of the gospel of John is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. So it kind of starts with the Lord's Supper and what's going on there. He's had the triumphal entry. And then John 14 is that great passage where Jesus says, you know where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come again to receive you into myself. And Jesus is talking about a fellowship that we're going to have with him that lasts forever. Now what he's about to get into is this idea of the closeness of that relationship and how we maintain it. So I wanna read the first eight verses of John 15 for us this morning. I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. Every branch uh, in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, and just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus is painting a picture for the disciples that would have absolutely been totally normal for them. It may be a little funny for us because we don't live in Napa Valley out in California where you would see vineyards everywhere you go, but they saw them in their life on a regular basis. Uh, we might think about it if Jesus was talking to us today and he was gonna use something that we use daily. Maybe he would talk about automobiles or maybe he would talk about technology in some way. But this picture for them made total sense and it had a lot of history for them from the Old Testament. Now, as we get started in this, I wanna tell you that there are gonna be three things that we have to address as we get to the meaning of it because there are two parts that are a little bit difficult for any of us to interpret. And there's a, a word change here that takes place just as translators have helped us through the years and I'll explain that as we go that I think brings out some very rich meaning for us from the text. The first thing that we have to do though is look at the action players here of what's going on. Jesus said that there's a vine and a branch and a gardener, and it's important for us to know who those are and who they're not. First of all, in the Old Testament, the vine was seen to be representing Israel. If you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, they often talk about the vine that was Israel. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm number 80 speaks to this by saying, Lord, would you restore the vine that you planted? Would you allow it to flourish again? Talking about the nation of Israel. But Jesus says about himself, he says, I'm the true vine. And he's not talking about like against a fake vine. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm the real deal. In, in the Old Testament, sometimes Israel was seen to have wandered and, and grown on its own and grown astray like it was unruly. And sometimes it was said that Israel produced a sour type of grape. 
right? That, that, that kind of, like, you wouldn't want. It's not something that, that you would find good. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And, and what he begins to say is that what God is doing in Christ won't be unfruitful in our lives because we are the branches connected to the true vine that is Jesus. And Jesus being the real deal will not fail to produce the fruit the Father actually wants to see. And God's the gardener, and he's the one that always plants the vine. And you don't ever forget this, and Jesus mentions it several times, but the work that God does is the first action in everything that we do. God is the, is the beginning of all action. It, nothing happens or takes place outside of his will uh, to move in that direction. And, and so we understand that if we're growing, it's because God has said it to be that way. If God's doing something, it's Christ, it's because he said it to be that way. And understand this, God didn't plant the vine or the branches so that they would die. It would be crazy, wouldn't it, to go to Home Depot or your favorite nursery and spend a lot of money on plants with the expectation I'm bringing these home to die. Now you might have a black thumb and kill them, but that's because of a lack of skill, not because of a lack of desire. It's different, isn't it? God, God does things in our lives so that they will be fruitful. And in verse two, Jesus begins to talk about this pruning process. In, in verse two, he says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, who? God removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. This is one of those differing interpretation verses that is a little bit hard to understand. And I think it's a little bit because of the nuance of the language. Verse two leads to some differing interpretations. For instance, does it mean these unfruitful branches differentiate between the fruitful branches in the way that non-Christians and Christians are differentiated? And it could be that way. Because Jesus often talked about in this kingdom, you can't tell often the real difference between the wheat and the tares. He talks about that in, in the coming judgment that's going to happen. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here because there's a word that is a little bit hard to translate. And guys, I just wanna say, biblical translators ought to have our greatest respect because it's so hard to do to try to get the meaning of the word in context for us and it's this word remove because that word remove can mean take away or it can mean lift up. Well, that changes completely the, the, the way that we read this, doesn't it? Because if it means remove that I'm going to take it away, that means that it might be an unfruitful person who's not a Christian taken away. But Jesus said that these people were in him. So I don't know that that's exactly right, but other commentators say it means Remove means to lift up, remove it from the ground. Because if a vine on a, a grapevine starts to go to the ground, it becomes unfruitful. That's why when you see them, they're always lifted up so they can get sunlight and have room to grow and to breathe and do all those things that they need to do so that they produce fruit. But either way, Jesus is talking about a pruning process. And I wanna just help you understand what that means because the pruning process for the vine dresser or the gardener, as we read it in the, in the uh, passage that I was reading, the translation I was reading, is really the person who comes along and helps the vines shed things they don't need. So in other words, you get rid of the little offshoots that would rob the nutrients of the vine. If it's not producing fruit, you have to cut it back a little bit so that it can 
grow. And, and what you begin to see here is that that process is what biblical uh, theologians would call this big word, sanctification. It just means becoming more like Christ. Jesus is saying the way for us to grow is through that pruning process, he gets rid of some things. Now, we have a little bit of an English equivalent kind of from this Greek word, but it doesn't say pruning. It's the word, maybe you've heard it before, catharsis. Do you know what a catharsis is? It's when you shed like some frustration or some anger. And, and, and maybe, I don't, you know, maybe you've done this, no judgment zone here. Have you ever just like walked out of the house and screamed at the top of your lungs or screamed into a pillow or hit a punching bag or something? Like, what are you doing? You're, you're letting some things, it's just me then, it's fine, I get it. I mean, I'll admit it, it's fine, you know. I was at a, a game the other day with uh, one of my, my son's friends and, and we, lost, we lost the game we were watching and this person took a sweatshirt and screamed in it. And I was like, good idea. Can I borrow that? You know, like, <clears throat> ah, you know, like you just, and then it's over and he felt better, right? It's the idea of shedding some things that you don't need. And that's what Jesus is doing. And I want us to just make sure that we understand this. As a Christian, you will not avoid the pruning process. You will not. It's painful, it's slow, and it's necessary. You can't avoid it. It's uncomfortable. None of us like it. We don't, we don't like it when the Lord comes to us and says, mm, these things don't need to be here. They need to go. We don't like that. It's hard. But you will not avoid the pruning process. And, and when I think about it, I always go back because I've never lived on a, a farm where we had like fruit trees or, or, or kind of a, a grapevine that, that we worked or anything like that. But I did live one summer as I was doing an internship with a family and the owner of the house had a bonsai garden in the back of his house. It fascinated me. Because every couple of days, he'd walk out there with these little scissors and trim just enough. And the size of the pot mattered to the tree if you wanted it to grow or keep it small. And he was constantly trying to do things to get the trees to bend and take shape. A, a vision of what he had. And I got to see that. And that's what God's doing in our lives. He has a vision for your life. He has a vision for my life. And what he begins to do then is to shape our lives into that vision. We don't get to control that, by the way. We don't get to set up and say, well, this is what I want to be. This is what I'd like it to be. God begins to do that in our lives and we won't do it. So, so the scripture says that we're, we're going to be pruned, but I want you to notice something else that verse three says. This idea of being pruned is the idea of being cleansed. And verse three says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Well, how are we pruned? How does God do this in our lives? It's through the word. God uses his word that's sharper than any two-edged sword to just cut down to the heart of the matter in our lives. He could use it through a, a life group lesson you had this morning. He could use it through a devotional you'll have this week or a podcast you listen to where people are talking about the scriptures or a sermon that you've heard or through the reading of the word in your own time this week. But God does that in our lives so that we're shaped into the image of Christ so that we begin to look on the inside like Jesus looks, right? So that we begin to exhibit those traits and that's the bearing of fruit. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But we now come to this kind of second, second kind of tricky thing for us and it's found in verse four. Let me read it for us. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Now, when I learned this passage of scripture as a child, the word wasn't remain, it was the word abide. Anybody have abide in their Bibles you're reading this morning, right? And, and it's the same word, 
what's happened is, is that it's just an update of the language, right? And, and you think about it like this, like if you're of an older generation, you might've said like, stop fibbing. When I was growing up, people said, stop lying. And recently somebody told me that if you say stop capping, that means stop lying, okay? So there's your cultural update for the day, right? So that you don't go, what, I need a cap? What is that, right? So, so the idea is that it's just an update to this. Jesus says, you need to stay in close fellowship with me. Here's what he says, remain with me, stay with me. And, and, and I think that's really important that we understand that because step one to remaining with Jesus means you have to come to Jesus. You gotta get there first. So, so this is the thing. The Bible says that we're all separated from God. We're outside of God's will because of this thing called sin in our lives where we violated God's principles. And the only way for us to get, get right with God is through Christ. And God sent Jesus so that he would live a perfect life, die on the cross, buried in a tomb, and be raised to life again. And the scripture says we have to place our faith in him. So what does that mean? It means we turn towards Jesus and we move towards him. When you move towards Jesus, Jesus runs to you. And, and this is the thing, when we place our faith in him and are saved, that initiates the relationship that we have with God the Father and Christ the Son. That's the only way to have it. You can't make it how you want it to be. You can't try to direct it to be something different. It only comes when our faith is placed in Jesus Christ. So what happens is we understand then that Christianity 101 says that once we come to Christ, we know we didn't save ourselves. Why would we think that we could do anything apart from him? Why would we think that on our own, we'd be valuable to the kingdom or, or with our own ideas or, or with our own plans that God would, would be able to do that? And I know that we think about God doing the work when it comes to salvation, but we forget that when it comes to living the Lord, we have to be directly tied to him. And, and I think this is an important thing. If you're gonna understand what it means to abide or, or remain, think if I could just update that for it, it means hang out. It just means hang out. So think about it like this. Like you don't walk around, and that's why they, they update this to say remain and not abide, because you don't say abide anymore. When was the last time you looked at someone and said, abide with me? They might think you're a weirdo, because you would be, right? You don't say that. You say, come over, hang out, let's, let's get together. And when you say that, you don't mean like, hey, let's get together and hang out. You don't mean five minutes. That's passing by. When, when you mean hang out, you mean come sit and stay a while. Come be with me. Let's stay close together. Let's enjoy this meal together. Let's, let's go do this together. Let's spend some time together. Think about it in our spiritual lives. To be with the Lord and to abide with him, if, if we're gonna hang out with him, that's not a fly-by-night thing. It's, it's not five minutes when you think about it. It's, it's not when you're in trouble, call out to the Lord. That's not abiding. We can do that. And God's so gracious, isn't he? Can, can I get an amen from anybody who's ever been far away from the Lord and called out to him and he still heard you, right? I mean, aren't you glad? Praise the Lord for that. But that really is using like, I mean, that much of what's given to us, isn't it? I mean, I mean so, so the idea that, that we could abide and hang out is so that we can start to bear fruit because we can't do it on our own. And, and this is just so convicting to me is that when I read this and I realize that every day I have the opportunity to abide with the Lord, to hang out, to stay with him, to remain with him, or I can go on my own and try it. I can try to make something up for myself. 
I can try to do good works on my own, but that's not how it works. And I just want to remind you something. Sometimes abiding in that pruning process, just hanging out in that, it just takes a while. And that's very hard because the instantaneous society that we live in makes us want and believe that everything should be deliverable now, right? How many of you have already started your Christmas shopping? Anybody? Look at y'all. Santa's elves are working hard this year, getting it done, you know, working ahead of time. Uh, but I want you to think about something. Have you found yourself doing this? Have you found yourself looking for things and then looking how quickly it can get to you? You know, it used to be if something was shipped and it got to you in a week, you were like, that is unbelievable customer service. And now if you can't have it today, you think those people are bums. What are they doing? But a lot of that translates to our lives, doesn't it? I want it now. I want God's work in my life to be done now. And it just doesn't work that way. When God's pruning us and he's getting us ready to grow, we often forget that there are these seasons, right? The vine doesn't just continually throw off grapes. What does it do? There's a harvest and then it kind of goes dormant. And what happens? There's some pruning and then there's a growing season and there's fruit that's produced, right? I mean, that's just, that's the process of what happens. But I think many of us believe that our lives should just be one big harvest where we're just dumping all these great things out of our lives. You know, here's some more fruit, here's some more fruit, here's some more fruit, and this is frenetic pace. God never called you to live at a frenetic pace. Not spiritually, not in work. We, we talked about that last week. You look at Jesus' life, he's never in a hurry. He's never late, always on time, always on purpose, always on mission, doing what he needs to do. So in our lives, we have to do that. Well, I want you to see what begins to happen. Look at verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches, the one who remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now, Jesus has said it twice. You can't do anything without me. And some of us are gonna leave here today and try to do everything we can without Jesus. You cannot do it. Say it with me, I can't do it. That was weak. You didn't believe it. I can't do it because you can't. Now, you remind me of that next week when I'm trying to do that because we all do it, right? I'm going to spin something up for the Lord and the Lord's like, right, go ahead. Good luck. Give it your best shot. And you know, sometimes I think the Lord allows us to try these things on our own just so that we're reminded of our need for him, right? It's like, oh man, I can't believe it. I did this. Look how, look how crazy that was to go. To, I know better than to do that. I'm sorry, Lord. You, you can't do it on your own, but, but here's what happens. He says, you produce fruit. You produce more fruit. Verse five says, you produce much fruit. There's this steady progression as we stay in close fellowship and, and the connection is to the Lord. And there's something about a connection that I think is often overlooked. You know, if you watch what our military goes through, oftentimes in training exercises, they make sure that in the military you have a buddy. If you finish the exercise without your buddy, you failed. It didn't work. Because you need to, to make sure you're with your buddy. Why? Because me getting something right on my own is not getting it right. Staying connected how I'm supposed to be to the Lord is what it's supposed to be. So what is this fruit that we bear then? He's saying that we're gonna bear fruit. Well, we've already studied it. You're gonna bear the fruit of righteousness in good deeds. You'll bear the fruit of righteousness in bearing up under persecution and you'll bear the fruit of the spirit in your lives. It, it will just start to come out. And then we get to this kind of tricky statement here in verse six. If anyone doesn't remain in me, He's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. 
and they gather them that throw them into the fire and they are burned. What does this mean? Does this mean, for instance, that we lose our salvation if we fail to be fruitful? No. God's not inconsistent in his word. Jesus said, everybody you gave me, I've held on to them. I'm gonna bring them all home. I'm not gonna lose anybody. Not gonna happen. So if God is the one who saves us and we didn't save ourselves, we don't work for salvation, then we don't work to, to stay saved. That would, that would be weird. It doesn't work that way. So, so what, what does it mean? Well, I think it's really the works that Jesus is talking about here because notice what happens. When we lose our connection to the vine, we wither. But the scripture says in, in 1 Corinthians 3.15 that all of our works are tested by fire. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, our works are tested. And last week we read about some believers who really didn't understand this, right? They, they didn't have all the fruit that they needed to show forth from the life of living in the spirit. And 2 Peter 1.8 said it like this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to get useless. I think here's the, the problem. We often think that what happens is in people's lives, they used to be fruitful, they used to be so on point, they were doing great things for the Lord, and then all of a sudden it's like the light went out bang, and they're just gone. And that's just not how it is. Somebody said it in a song, and I don't know who, but they said it's a slow fade. So what happens is, when you don't stay connected to the Lord, you don't really notice that it got a little darker today. Just a little bit. You go a month or two like that, and you lay out of church, you lay out of your devotionals, you kind of take these things for granted as, as if they don't matter, and that's a little more, a little more. And we've all known people like that. I mean, they were, they were absolutely useful to the kingdom of God. And you look around and say, where are they now? It'd be a great docu-series to run for the church, wouldn't it? Where are they now? And it's not that I think they lost their salvation. They're just useless, unfruitful. They didn't realize that the fade was happening. Their eyes were adjusting because if it just happened like that, you'd go, whoa, 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 turn the lights back on. I need it, Lord, I need it. But it's slow. Jesus described this in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount when he talked about the salt and the light. Remember he said, if a salt loses its flavor, what good is it? You're the salt of the earth. Everywhere you go, you're to flavor the world with my life. You're the light of the world. Everywhere you go, you're to shine the light of Christ. If the, if the lamp is hidden, it, it's no good to anybody. For us to be a Christian and not bearing fruit is to miss our purpose. To miss what makes God so happy. Because the result of this tells us a couple of things that will happen in verse 7 and 8. When we bear fruit and we see something about what makes God happy. I want you to see it with me. Verse seven says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Two things happen when you stay connected to the Lord, when you remain with him, when you hang out with him, when you spend time with him, two things. And it's two things that every one of us wants. Power and prayer, 
and a fruitful life. A life that makes a difference. I have not met a Christian who didn't want more power in prayer. I've not met somebody who's like, no, I'm good. I think, you know, God answers about one out of 30. That's pretty good. Does that, does that make you happy? Why would it be that, that, that our connection to the Lord has something to do with answered prayer in our lives? Well, a couple of things. One is that when you're connected to the Lord, guess what the Holy Spirit's doing? He's informing your prayer life so that you don't just get off crazy praying selfish stuff that's not in God's will for your life. We waste a lot of time talking, not praying, because we don't spend time with the Lord. We waste time doing that. We waste a lot of time trying to do things for the Lord and not just being fruitful by abiding with him and allowing his character to be formed in our lives so that we show the world who we are. But the scripture says, God will give us answered prayer. God will be glorified when we show up and bear fruit. And I want you just to think about this. Think about what makes God happy. And, and if you could make God happy today, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? God's glorified when we bear fruit. Years ago, we asked you here to start a, a new thing called the Global Focus Intern Project, where we took men and women, young men and women who were thinking about going into ministry. We let them work with us in the church for a year to kind of experience that. And then we sent them out uh, and, and we've had maybe five or six people come through that. We have one right now, Tyler Dunn, who's, who's working through that. He's our global focus intern right now. But it got me so excited this week because I saw some updates on social media from the very first one that we ever had. And you know what got me excited is that he's in ministry doing what we taught him to do. And he's serving a church and his family just had their second child. And this church was throwing a baby shower for them and doing all this stuff. And they're, they're engrafted into the life of the church, which is what we imagine it would be. And, and that makes you happy, right? I mean, that, that, that ought to make us as a church proud of what God's doing in his life. And he married a girl from our church and they're serving the Lord. I just love that. That's a great thing to see. That makes us happy because that's a reflection back on this church and what this church invested in that person's life. Well, God is happy in the same way. So how do we abide then? Sounds philosophical, but it's really not. Hang out. Three phrases for you this morning. Stay in the word, stay in worship, stay focused on the work. Stay in the word. When you're seeing these big gaps in your time in the word, something is missing. It's, it, it's like missing the warning signs and then you go to your doctor and he says, man, how much candy have you been eating? How much sugar have you been eating? You're really elevated in some of your numbers. And you're like, oh, I didn't really notice. And your wife's like, I noticed, you know, you've been eating nothing but donuts, man. You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. There's some warning signs along the way. Just some check marks. When was the last time you were in the word? And I don't mean when was the last time you read a chapter of the Bible. I mean, you were in the word, you hung out. See, that could come in your personal time. It could come in a life group. It could come in worship. You get the word of God implanted in you and it prunes you back so that you bear fruit. So stay in the word. Stay in worship. Let us not forsake the gathering together of believers as is the custom of some. When worship becomes secondary in your life and everything else is primary, listen to me. Don't miss this. You're fading and you don't even know it. The lights are getting dim. This is not optional, what we're doing this morning. 
It's commanded. It's not, hey, if I didn't have anything better to do, woo, I'll come to church. Hey, uh, you know, my week's pretty light. I'll be, I mean, stay in the word, stay in worship. When you're around the people of God, singing the praises of God, when you hear the word of God preached, guess what God does? He starts to speak to you. As he speaks to you, he starts to prune things in your life. Make it a priority for your family. You know what happens most of the time in that fade? You faded and then you wonder why your kids never come when they turn to be adults. It's not a mystery to anybody but you. Right, all right, if you're not here, why would they be here? Dads, this is for you. You lead the way. That's your calling. It's not mom's job, that's your calling. You lead the way, stay in worship. Stay focused on the work. You'd be focused on a lot of things today, but be focused on the work that God has given us to, to bring forth the fruit of righteousness, to, to make sure that we're exhibiting the, the traits of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Stay focused on the work that God has given us, and that's the abiding presence of the Lord. If you stay focused on the word, worship, and the work, guess what? You're hanging out with the Lord. Don't miss that today. God wants us to bear fruit for his glory. I know that you want to do that. I know that we all want our prayers answered. We want to be, be tuned into what God's heart is so that as we pray, we know that God is answering our prayers. And we're not just going through an exercise, but that God is working in our lives. I'm going to ask you this morning to bow with me in prayer. Father, I'm praying right now for the one who's in the room who needs to turn towards you so that they can see Christ fully and be saved today. Father, there's someone in here perhaps who if they died today would spend eternity separated from you in hell. And Father, we know that you don't desire anyone be sent to hell, but you desire that all would come to repentance. So Father, we pray that your desire would be made fulfilled today and that someone would give their life to you. Father, we pray as well for, for us that we would just remain with you. Father, forgive us when we think that we can run off and do it on our own. Help us to bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. Lord, for some of us, we're in the pruning process. It's painful. It's not fun. But God, you're doing the work. And we know that you're doing these things to make us in the image of Christ. So as we abide with you, let your word cleanse us. Help us to shed the things that shouldn't be part of our lives. God, I just pray that as we abide, we'd see our prayers answered and that as we bear fruit, you would be glorified, Lord, because ultimately that's what we want is for you to be glorified and pleased with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.